All right, church, are you ready to be a church? All right, because I'm ready to preach if you're ready to be a church. All right, you ready to go? All right, good. All right, so there's this funny thing in the English language that, that happens. It just naturally happens as time passes. Like our kids will use phrases that they know the meaning of, but they don't understand it. Like we'll tell our kids to hang up the phone and they'll know to turn the phone off, but they've never hung a phone up before, right? You know what I'm saying? Like we'll tell them to roll up the window, but they've never had to roll up a window before. Your kid could probably teach you how to CC an email to somebody, but they probably couldn't tell you what CC stands for. They don't know anything about the yellow and the pink pieces of paper, the carbon copy paper. Did you guys even know that's what CC meant when you're emailing somebody? There's these artifacts of language that it's like we understand how to kind of move around with it and we assign new meaning to it, but we don't necessarily, they don't, they don't get what it's like. If we talk about tuning into something, they've never actually had to tune in a radio station. They've never tuned in their television show to try to get the static gone and get it just right like some of us have experienced. It's like we say one thing and they kind of understand, but they kind of don't understand at the same time. And unfortunately, when we talk about the cross of Christ, it hits differently for some people. When we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, For some of us, as soon as we say it, it's just reverence and thankfulness and understanding that my whole life was restored at that cross. And some people, they hear the cross and they think, yeah, that's just where Jesus died. And it's not personal yet. And it's not to be like angry at them, but it's to recognize that for each one of us, each one of us, the cross of Christ has to become personal for it to become powerful. And you may not have realized this, but it's Good Friday today at Golfside Church. And next Sunday is Easter at Golfside Church. And so as a pastor, I get to have two Good Fridays and two Easter's. And so I'm pretty excited about that. And, and today's message, at Easter time, I actually took you guys into Psalm 22 a little bit and gave you some, and some of, I got great feedback. You guys are like, wow, I didn't know all of that was in the Old Testament. And today we're going to actually dive further into Psalm 22 as we look at what happened on the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I want to instill this in you. The cross of Jesus Christ is so important that there's an entire chapter, there's more than a chapter of the Old Testament dedicated to the fact of what would happen to the Messiah on the cross. And that sounds so impossible to so many people that critics have gone and said, you know, maybe the Christians rewrote that into the Old Testament, but the Jewish people are like, um, excuse me, we've had this book for over a thousand years and we did not let them come in and rewrite our, our, our scriptures. Like they're there, they're established, they cannot be changed. And so as we read this, I believe you're gonna be built up and just recognizing, man, all of this was in Psalm 22. But I wanna catch you up to some important facts to provide some just clarity because we're in a series called The Story. And the story covers from when God spoke everything into creation by his power to when there is the end of time and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And we've looked through the story and I wanna give you just some of the most critical highlights. 
Number one, when man fell and fell into a sinful state and separated themselves from God, God gave one of the first prophecies when he spoke to Eve and he said, through your seed, I will crush the head of the serpent as he strikes and bites his heel. And it was one of the first foreshadowings of the Messiah that was to come. That promise that was made to Eve is highlighted even further through Abraham when God spoke to Abraham and said, I am going to bless all nations through you. Which was talking about the Messiah that would be to come. And then it was critically important when God gave the law to the people of Israel, his nation that he was rising up. It was 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham. It does not negate the promise of the Messiah that was to come through Abraham, but it was to show them what holiness looks like. Galatians actually defines the law as a tutor that its whole purpose was point, to point us to Jesus, to point us to the need of a savior, to point us to the one who would die on the cross. That was the whole point of the law. And now we're arriving to Jesus dying on the cross. And it's critically important. It is, it is the, the, the climax of the story. It is where everything has been pointing towards, dating back to the promise that God spoke to Eve of saying, I am going to crush the head of the serpent through your seed. This is the crushing point. And so we're going to pick up, and I want you to just see what is firmly established in Psalms. And then God, through his foreknowledge, it just happens, it happens, it happens as Jesus is going through his death on the cross. First, in Matthew 27, verse 46, some of your Bibles will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of your Bibles will include the original language of Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is Jesus crying out that, that statement. And it almost seems weird as you read Jesus saying this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, it seems like, are you allowed to complain like that, Jesus? Like, are you allowed to talk? Because that seems almost like a little bit disrespectful that you would say that to him. You're supposed to have it all together. You're supposed to be perfect at all times. Like, what's happening in this passage? And we talked about this at Easter, but to reaffirm to you, Jesus was prompting the memory of everybody who was present in this situation. And we see in, in Psalm 22, verse 1, Jesus is quoting this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, it, it's like this, and I did this Easter, I'm gonna do it again, and I'm gonna need your help on this for this to work, otherwise it's gonna be so awkward. Can you help me? Yes. All right, some people needed further permission and understanding that the rest of the people were gonna say stuff, and so now they're empowered enough to say it. Are you going to help me? Yes. Ah, see how much louder that was? They're <laughs> convinced now. Okay, so like, I'm gonna say a lyric, and then you're gonna finish the lyric, okay? And this is the easiest one to do because I'm a terrible singer, and so I know you can do this with me. Somebody once told me the world is gonna. Okay, yeah, like you don't even like that song necessarily. You might be angry, you might be humming that song for the rest of the day, and you're gonna be like, stupid Paul and his dumb sermon illustrations put 90 music stuck in my head. And I can't, like you didn't even want to have that memorized, but you had it memorized because that's just the way that music sticks. And that's what the Hebrew people would do. They would take important truths and then they would put them into songs or Psalms and then they would memorize them. And they would in fact have different pieces that as they gathered for worship, the person up front would say the very first part and then the congregation would respond with what they had memorized. And that is how a lot of worship would happen. But 
Committing to memory was critically important because even within the congregation, so few people were literate. And so for them to be able to understand the word of God, they would have to memorize it. And so they would do that through Psalms most of the time. And so as Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He just gave them the first line to a song that he knows that they know. It's a song that speaks of the promise of the Messiah. It's a song that was written by David almost a thousand years before the time in the life of Jesus Christ. But I'm gonna tell you this much, as he said the first lines to that song, they had maybe pictured and thought about that Psalm before, and they would have thought about all of their enemies would be the ones doing this to the, the King or the Messiah that was to come. And surely they would have never even processed the fact that it might be them. And so I can tell you that the people would have thought about the Psalm, but they would have been like, no, 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 that's not, what would, that's not, that's not what's happening here. But let's look at a couple different pieces of Psalm 22 and then the pieces of the gospel. And I, and I believe it's gonna encourage you and help you today. In Psalm 22, verse seven, it says, all who see me mock me. They hurl their insults, shaking their heads. Oh, that sounds a little bit familiar to Psalm 27 or Matthew 27, verse 39, doesn't it? In the gospel, it says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. First of all, it was foretold. And I'll also say it's, it's dangerous to ever compare yourself to Jesus, especially as you're going through something difficult. But Jesus made the comparison that if he's going to go through trials and tribulations and criticisms, then you should definitely expect it too. That him, as perfect as he is, if he endures difficulty, then you as you are, <laughs> you're going to endure difficulty as well. And people are going to hurl complaints. People are going to hurl criticisms. As you stand up for truth in today's culture, just like every generation before, and I understand you want to say that it's different, but there is nothing new under the sun. But as you stand up for unborn life in our culture, people are going to have criticisms that they want to hurl at you. As you stand up for what the scriptures define as marriage, people are going to hurl insults at you. As you stand up for what integrity should be according to scripture, people are gonna hurl insults and criticisms at you. And you're gonna have a choice to make to either become just like them or to say, I am doing what I am supposed to do. I'm living how I'm supposed to live. And the only person's opinion who really matters to me is my heavenly father. And that's the ground that I need to stand on, not their opinions. And it's really interesting to just even wrap your head around the whole reality of what's happening as people are hurling insults at Jesus as he's nailed on a cross. I mean, it, it should just like boggle your mind a little bit that God in flesh, the one who spoke the whole world into creation, that nothing was created except for through him, by him, and for him, that person the person who could call down a legion of angels to protect him. 
I mean, he showed his judgment through the flood on the sinfulness of earth. He, he showed his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah in their sinfulness, on people who were supposed to be believers, worshiping in the temple in the wrong ways. He showed his judgment. If ever there was an appropriate time where someone deserved fire from above to just hit them, it would be the people who had the audacity to hurl insults at the face of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, I'm not trying to put a magnifying glass on those people. I'm trying to put a magnifying glass on the incredible compassion of Jesus Christ. He is righteous in his judgment and he would have been righteous to bring condemnation upon those men. But you know what my hope is, my personal hope? I hope the people who are hurling those insults eventually came around, eventually saw, because what a funny conversation to have in heaven. What did you do, you feel? What was the most notable thing you did in your lifetime on earth? I was the guy who threw, hurled insults at Jesus. What? <laughs> you? Like, like, that would be such a fun conversation to have. But I want to tell you, it's the grace and the compassion of God that he loved man so much. He loved the world so much to endure scorn. I know you and me, man, if, if, I, if I stop and help someone change a tire and they start criticizing the way that I do it, I'm going to be like, I'm going to let you finish up. <laughs> you don't need my help. God's compassion was not determined by the behavior of sinful man. Your compassion should not be determined by the behavior of sinful man. God in his incredible love, so that even as they hurl insults, he was on the cross bleeding for the ones who were attacking him. It's an incredible act of love. Not only did they hurl insults, but they, they, they criticized the authenticity, the power of what he had said and what he had taught. The psalmist in 22 verse eight wrote, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. That sounds familiar too. Matthew 27, verse 39. Those who passed, or I'm sorry, Matthew 27, verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. Psalms was just spelling out the things that would happen. And it was this question of, Christ, where, where, where's your power, Jesus? You said that, that you would build the temple if it was destroyed after three days? Where's the power? I want to tell you, when you feel com the compulsion to scoff or when you feel the compulsion to brag, make sure you do it at the end of the game and not in the middle of the game. Make sure you understand what you're talking about is finished and not still in process. Because the people who criticized him about what God would do through him and in him they thought they had seen the finish line already, but that game wasn't over yet. God still had victory on the way and they were made to look the fool after they accused Jesus of being the fool. And for yourself, if you feel like you have reached the end of the road, like there's no hope, if there's air in your lungs, there is still hope. If you have a willingness to hear the prompting of God and respond to it, there is still hope that if it feels impossible what has been laid out before you, 
That is where God loves to make his power shown, where his power is made perfect, is in our weakness. And sometimes the criticism of like, where's God now? Sometimes it shows up internally. Sometimes it shows up externally. But I want to make sure that your faith isn't in earthly things, that your faith is in heavenly things. That The God who sits on the throne, he still has authority. So I do not have to fear, even if right now it feels impossible. In Psalm 22, verse 15, it describes, it says, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. In John 19, 28, Jesus was on the cross and knowing that everything had been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And they actually offered him on a branch of hyssop, a sponge that was soaked in something that would numb the pain for him. But he wouldn't receive it and he wouldn't drink from it. Because even as he was suffering on the cross and even as he was experiencing physical need for drink, having been beaten, having been dehydrated, he's been on the cross for over six hours at this point. He still wouldn't numb the pain. He still wouldn't take the easy way out. He still wouldn't find a shortcut to do what he had been called to do, but he was going to experience it in his fullness so that it could be finished in its fullness. And to reaffirm to you that when you have the opportunity to numb and dull the difficulty, to take a shortcut, to circumvent God's teaching and God's calling on your life, endure the difficulty. There's purpose in it. When you find a way to take a shortcut financially, so you just kind of push a number around on your taxes, Go the difficult way and honor God. And something's missing emotionally from your marriage and you feel like you can find that somewhere outside of God's boundaries. Stay within the instructions of scripture and the teaching of our savior. Continue to love your spouse like Christ loved the church. When things feel difficult and so you turn to a substance, Instead, turn to your knees and pray and seek after God and seek after fellowship. This is not in this message today, but I want to tell you, there is a work of prayer that Christians have to do. There is a work of fellowship that Christians have to do. And if you're going through difficulty right now, make sure you are practicing the faith that you're called to live. Jesus didn't take the easy way out on the cross as Psalms discussed the way that he would be feeling. This is one of the most mind-bending pieces in Psalm 22, verse 16, where the psalmist, this is a thousand years before the time of Christ, about 700 years before crucifixion was even used as a method to to put people to death. The psalmist wrote, they pierce my hands and my feet. They pierce my hands and my feet. This is all in Psalm 22. In the Gospel of John 20, verse 25, this was Thomas doubting and saying, he's going to have to check and make sure that Jesus' hands and feet are pierced. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, then I will not believe. And then Jesus appeared to him and answered his doubts. But I want to just instill in you, a thousand years before the time of Christ, Psalms was writing about the type of death that the Messiah would endure. How incredible is that? 
How amazing is it that God in his foreknowledge gave them the exact picture of the things that would be happening? When, I remember one of my friends in college had this shirt. It was a total dad joke and it took me way too long to get it, but he had a shirt that said, body piercing saved my life. I was like, how does that make sense? I was like, oh, I get, I get the Jesus thing. Yeah, I get it. The, the piercing of his hands and feet was long foretold. Thomas had such problems believing that Jesus was raised from the dead that he said, I have to touch where the holes were because something of that just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense unless God. It doesn't make sense that the psalmist would write this unless God was part of it. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would rise again unless God was part of it. And it doesn't make sense that God would love and restore us to him unless it was by his work. And it's the work that he has done at the cross. By the piercing of Jesus' hands and by the piercing of his feet, we are enabled to have forgiveness and have new life because he suffered for us and because he brought it to completion. And the psalmist wrote in 22 verse 18, he described and said, they divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garments. In the gospel of Mark 15, 24, it described it and said, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It's one of those things that when you see it in, in hindsight, I mean, it's just this ridiculous picture of these guys are worried about a very small piece of worldly wealth and they're missing out on the most eternal treasure that there ever was. I mean, they're, they're so close in proximity that they could put a hand on Jesus, but their concern is, uh, maybe I can get a couple bucks out of this if the dices fall, right? So it is with so many people who are in church. It's like their, their life, they use the word, the cross. They could tell you maybe even a few things about Jesus, but it's so impersonal to them. It's like they're close enough that they could reach out and they could grab the word of God. They have a Bible on their shelf and they could put their hand on it, but their heart is far away from it. And it's so easy to get caught up with the things that have to be done. I understand we have to work and we have to be productive and we have to work on education and we have to take care of family responsibilities. But I want to tell you the most important decision that you have to make is not your career. The most important decision that you have to make, and it's important, but it's not even your spouse. The most important decision that you have to make is who Jesus is to you. Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Does he have authority over your decisions, over your life choices, even when it doesn't make sense to those who surround you, even when it doesn't make sense to your own heart? Because if he does not have that kind of authority yet, you have not given him lordship yet. Band, if you guys want to come up, I'm going to start moving this towards a close. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30, as Jesus was approaching his final breaths on the cross, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The word that he used for, for it is finished, it's the same word that the, and we found remnants from the, the Roman times of tax documents. There were even tax documents back then. How terrible is that? 
But when a tax was paid in full, the word that they would write on there is the same word that Jesus used. It's finished, it's paid, it's completed. The debt has been handled. And Jesus wasn't saying it's just finished like I'm dead. He's saying it's finished. What was spoken to Eve, that the head of the serpent would be crushed, it is finished. That through Abraham's offspring, the whole world would be blessed, it is finished. The requirements of the law that are impossible for you and I to fulfill, it is finished. The opportunity for you to have an intersection where you can change directions and be connected to God again. That opportunity is opened now and the disconnect is finished. Psalm 22 verse 31, it said it this way, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, that's you. The Bible's talking about you right here. To a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And it's the Hebrew parallel to that it is completed, that it is finished, that it is done, not because of anything that you could do, but because of what he did for you. And in verse 27, of Psalm 22, it says, the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of all the nations will bow down before him. Genesis 18, this is the promise I spoke to you of, for Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In Philippians 2, 9, 11, it puts all of the glory on Christ in this way. And it says, therefore God exalted him being Christ to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and in under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross of Jesus Christ. In the mind and heart of many it is an icon and it is a symbol but to you it should be a source of life and rebirth that this is where God brought me back. This is where Jesus completed it. And thanks to the cross, I am restored to God. But you have a decision about how you understand it. And I want you to be able to sleep tight at night knowing that you have a right relationship with God. And even as I say, I want you to sleep tight at night, very few of you guys know what that saying means but you understand some application. Do you know they used to have ropes instead of box springs that the mattress and the padding would sit on and that's how people would sleep and if you weren't sleeping tight, your rope break, you hit the floor. Now you know a little bit more about what sleep tight means. But it would be devastating to leave here having learned some things about carbon copy, paper, and sleeping tight and not leave here without a firm grip on what the cross of Jesus Christ means to you. So we're going to worship and then I'm going to come out and I'm going to give a couple announcements and I'm going to have our prayer team come forward. 
Jesus' invitation was always, come and follow me. I mean, Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But we misinterpret that as God just wants some sort of lip service. He wants a rerouting of your life. And Romans gives a description of that, but the fuller description is saying, I'm I'm reaching the point where I'm gonna trust Jesus with everything, with my future, with my fears, with my hopes, with my choices, with my addictions. I trust him with everything. So as everything here wraps up today, after worship, after the closing announcements, the prayer team's gonna be here. I want to challenge you to put a physical step with the spiritual movement that's happening in your life. And if you need to get started again or started for the first time, do that today. The cross, it's that intersection of decision. Choose to follow him today. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I'm thankful. Thankful for the magnitude of your love, that you suffered, that you endured the scorn and the shame of the cross to demonstrate your love for us and to pay the penalty for our sin, to take the punishment that we deserved. So we believe and we confess and we ask you to be Lord of our life, to make us new creations as we follow in your ways. We thank you for the new life we find in your name, in Jesus' name.